And so if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 16. It's near the beginning, if maybe you're new to the scriptures, it's near the left side there, and uh, it's in the Old Testament. And we're going to read the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel 16. And if you could, I know most people at least have a cell phone. I love it when you at least would get it right in front of your eyes as you hear it with your ears. There's something about underlining, circling, highlighting, uh, whether it's paper form or on the phone, that I personally just think is uh, significant because if you don't hear anything else uh, this morning, I hope that you hear what God's word says. Because it's not really about what I have to say, it's about what he has to say. So we're going to direct our full attention to his word. First, if you agree with me, this is what it says in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? See these two characters, you may not know who they are, but Samuel is what's called a prophet in the Old Testament. A prophet is somebody that fully represents God, and their primary role on this earth is to speak for God. It'd be similar to a a political ambassador fully representing the office from which they come and speaking on behalf of the president or the king or the emperor from which they're sent. And Samuel's job as a prophet of God is to speak only what God says. And when the prophet speaks something, it is going to be done. And so that's what his job is. He's the prophet of the time, one of the mightiest prophets of the Old Testament. And God says, how long are you going to grieve over this man, Saul? If you don't know who Saul is, Saul is the first king over God's people, the people of Israel. This is the first human being that God established to be king over his people. And at this particular moment in time where we find ourselves is a moment where uh, Saul has done some things that displease the Lord. And it is now the time where God needs to remove this person from office and set in the leader that he needs in that position. And so he says this, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king from among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. Sometimes God gives us instruction before giving us all the details. Sometimes he asks us to go and says, I'll show you what you do when you get there. And if you don't ever go, you're never going to know. It's our obedience that is necessary in the equation. I will show you what you should do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Yes, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. That word, funny word, consecrate, means to set yourself apart, both internally and externally, for what God intends to do. You know, we could show up really lackadaisically and just show up in God's presence and just say, oh, you know, if you want to do something, if, you, if you're really there, speak to me. Or we could show up and say, I'm setting aside my mind and my heart and my attentions for what it is that you want to do. I'm separating myself from sin. I'm separating myself from the world. And I'm positioning myself to hear from you and to give honor to what it is that you say. That's what consecration is. And he said, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice, and then it begins. Verse six, when they came, he looked at Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance of his height or his stature because I rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before the prophet Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? You didn't leave anybody out, did you? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. He's just a shepherd. He's just young. He's just a nobody, and his feet smell like poop. <laughs> That's in the original Hebrew. <laughs> he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And they sent and they brought him in. And he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. Say this with me, anointed. Anointed, anointed him. Samuel took the horn and anointed him in the midst of all of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now turn in your Bible uh, a couple pages to the right, to 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2, it's 16 chapters later. And we're going to read four verses. This is what it says. After this, David... Speaking of the same young man that came in from the field, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to the cities of Judah? And the Lord said, go up. And David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. And so David went up from there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought his men who were with him and everyone in his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. Now listen to this, verse 4. And the men of Judah came. This time not the prophet. This time not God. This time not the, the one that was to speak on behalf of God. But the men, the people, the congregation of the tribe of Judah, they came. And they anointed David over the house of Judah. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you are here in this place right now. More than even the breath in our lungs, your presence is tangible. It is real. Even if we don't see it, even if we don't feel it, you are here. And I thank you that you are not just an idea. You are not just a philosophy. You are not a dead uh, deity, but you are a living king, and you are alive, and you desire to speak to every single one of us. I thank you that every person here is not here by accident. Every person listening online is not listening by accident, but that it's your hope, your heart, that people will be drawn to you in relationship, not religion, but relationship. And so we commit ourselves to you with expectation that you would speak to us and that you would do what only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, we had a guest speaker, his name was Caleb, amazing dude, if you're here. Right after youth camp, he mistakenly proclaimed to all of us that our Whisper series, our summer series, was all over. Uh, he just made a mistake. He didn't know, but he had declared that Whisper was over, 
And this is, if you haven't been around, this is a series we've been discussing all summer long of ways that you can hear from God. And so we've discussed a number of different subjects. It's been really great. We've followed along the line of uh, a book that Mark Batterson wrote, and it's, it's been a great uh, series. And so Caleb told all of us, hey, whisper's over. I know you just got done with that, etc." That was a mistake. Last week, our lead pastor declared to you that that was the last week of the Whisper series, and he declared that correctly. It was supposed to be the last week of the Whisper series. And so here I am uh, for a third time declaring to you that indeed it is not over. Um, but we'll just consider this a, an epilogue, how about, an afterword. Um, because the Lord would not release me uh, before we go into what is, whatever is going to be next going into the fall. Coming off of this series on Whisper, I felt strongly that he wanted to speak one more word. And so I've entitled this message, Waiting on a Whisper. Waiting on a Whisper, because as much as we've dedicated our summer to teaching on how we can position ourselves as human beings and we can posture ourselves with a posture of receptivity where we could position ourselves in a manner where we can actually hear from heaven. We've discussed amazing things like sometimes we have to cut things out of our life, even fast from things or completely reject things we've allowed to come in because of the noise of all those things stops us from hearing from God. We've discussed that. We've discussed how we can actually hear from God through his word. We've discussed how we can actually listen to the voice of God and he speaks through doors, doors that are opening and doors that are closing. And these are different ways that God speaks to us. These are whispers from heaven that we can actually listen to. We've discussed that sometimes even the desires deep in our heart are, is the way that God wants to speak to us, not audible words, but desires. We've discussed that God speaks through other people, and sometimes we're looking for him to speak to us directly, but he chooses to speak through men and women. We've discussed even how God speaks to us through pain. And we've discussed all these ways, all these things, all these actions that we could uh, presumably put ourselves in and practice and do and position ourselves where we can hear from God and it was really great, and I hope that you're practicing all of those things, but the Lord wouldn't release me from this because I just couldn't shake in my own spirit, what do you do when you're still waiting for God to speak, even if you have done all of these practices that we've prescribed? And my guess is that if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time at all, you've experienced that feeling in your soul of waiting and wondering maybe, God, where are you? I'm doing the things that the preacher told me to do. I'm doing all the things that religion has prescribed for me. I'm, I'm practicing this stuff, and yet I still feel like you're not speaking to me. And what do I do while I'm waiting? Some of you in this room right now, you are waiting on God to speak something to you in regards to your finances. You are looking at your bank account, and the number in your bank account is far lower than what you know you need to get you through the end of the month. And you're just waiting for the first, but you're waiting for God to show up and speak provision over your life. And it's in those moments, however long or short that they are, that we find ourselves in the pinnacle of struggle because we're, we're at a position where we can't do anything out of our own strength. We're waiting for God to do something from the outside. And it's the moments of waiting that we struggle with and we wonder, what do we do while we wait? 
There are some people in this room where you are waiting for God to speak a word of healing over that health situation in your life. Just last night, we met with a man before gathering who got diagnosed with lung cancer. And he said, before I go to the surgeon, I need to come to the elders because the word says I need to seek prayer and anointing. And I'm going to seek the healer before I seek any doctor in town. And what he knows is, and thank the Lord for modern medicine. We, we need it. We're blessed by it. But you know what? If you've ever been in the battle of your life, you know that more than scalpel or medicine or, or drug, you know that what you need and what you desperately desire is for God to speak to you that I have you. But it's in those moments where between the diagnosis and the healing that we struggle with the waiting and wondering, is God really going to show up? Maybe you're going through a, a battle in a relationship. And people are just hard, and maybe it's in your marriage, and, and in your opinion, your spouse talks too much, and God talks too little. <laughs> or maybe your spouse doesn't talk to you at all, and that's the problem. And you're wrestling, and you're fighting, and you're saying, God, I'm trying to do what you told me to do. I don't want to pursue divorce, but I'm struggling. And I've been struggling, not for a month or a year, but for 10 years. And I'm fighting for this relationship, but it doesn't seem like anything's happening. And what you're wrestling with in your heart is waiting and wondering, God, are you ever going to show up? Yeah. And I don't know what your issue or issues might be. Here's the thing about me. I felt released to just confess to you transparently that at this particular season in my life, I'm going through a, a very difficult season of struggle internally. I'm in a season unlike, I've only really gone through this season a few times in my life. I've been following Jesus for about half of my life. And it's a very unique season that I'm in because externally, I've never been in a better place in life. Like financially, we're doing pretty good. My family is just amazing. I mean, it's just unbelievable. We have, a, we have a house, we have food in our cupboards, all of these things. If you look at my life externally, there's absolutely no reason why I should complain. And I don't feel like I have any reason to complain. I'm just explaining to you that sometimes it's not the external things that plague us the most, it's the internal things. It's the struggles, it's the questions of identity, it's the questions of calling, it's the questions of, of purpose, it's the questions of, God, are you are you really doing this thing with me or am I just chasing something? And my guess is that you've experienced these seasons in your life where you're struggling and wondering, God, are you really with me? And why does it seem like I can't hear from you? Now just pause the sermon for a, min a minute. As a preacher, just so you know, um, we walk this fine line between like, when we're struggling with something personally, it's a balance that we have to be very careful what we bring to the pulpit. Because we want to be wise not to project our own issues upon the congregation that God's given us. And, you know, sometimes it's like almost like that sermon is like really talking to like one person and it's super awkward. And it's because... The, the temptation is that if, if we're wrestling with something that's particular to us, uh, a preacher might project that onto, onto their message and onto the, the people hearing. And so we're very, very careful not to do that. Um, but in this particular case, I felt released 
by the Lord to just be transparent with you and let you know that as I preach this message, I'm like really struggling with this. And I felt like it's okay because you don't always need to see just strength from the pulpit, but you need to know that you're not alone. And that it's not just the preachers and the pastors that have it all going on all the time, but we go through this stuff too. We go through the struggle. And by the way, almost every person that you see in this book went through the same struggle that you think you're walking in alone. You know, much has been said about this man, David. Sermons have been preached and books have been written about David's life because he was one of the most mighty and powerful and amazing people throughout the entire scriptures. You've heard the sermons told about his life, how he showed up as the sandwich delivery boy to the front line and he saw Goliath talking trash to God and his people and he said, oh no, no, I know I'm not a soldier but I'm not having this and how he took down the giant and mighty sermons have been preached about how he slayed that giant and he led, he changed the tide of the whole war and how he was such a mighty warrior, how they said, oh, Saul only slayed a few but David, he slayed thousands and David was such a mighty king. You've heard the story the stories told about how David was the one whom when they talk about Jesus the savior of the world they say he's the son of David because David was the king that set the stage for the rest of history David was the one from whom Jesus himself came it was in the line of David that the savior of the world came up you've heard stories about how David was the greatest and most mighty king in all of Israel's history but what you don't often hear is the stories and the sermons about what took place between the promise and between the palace we don't often talk about what, what was going on in David's reality and in his heart when he was running for his life before he became a ruler. Because what we see is people that have positions of success and pedestals and platforms, but what we don't often look at and analyze is the struggle that they went through to get there. And that's exactly why I'm preaching on what I'm preaching, because what happens in 1 Samuel 16 is this. The man of God anointed with the word of God goes to the house of Jesse with God's instruction, not his desire, not man's desire, but God's instruction to anoint for him the king. And when, an, when a prophet shows up and speaks a word from the Lord, it's as good as done. It's going to happen. But he does this thing called anointing. If you've ever wondered what anointing is, Originally what it was is that when shepherds would look after their sheep, there was, an, there was an issue that the sheep would face. And it's a very interesting, funny issue that there's these little bugs that would crawl up into the sheep's ears, burrow themselves into their skull and kill them. And so the, sh the shepherds would take physical oil and dump it all over the head of their sheep and either the scent or the slipperiness of the oil would detract all of those insects from crawling up into the head of the sheep and, and killing the sheep. That's what it originally was, just simply put. But what God had instructed them was to take this physical practice and bring it into the spiritual realm. And so when it says that Samuel filled his horn with oil, that's actually what he did. He filled it up with physical oil and he went to the house of Jesse and this is something that people would do. They would anoint somebody by physically pouring oil over their head and the anointing wasn't in the oil. The oil was the symbol and the seal of the promise that God was making. And so when a prophet speaks on behalf of God, when God speaks anything that he speaks, it's as good as done because God's word is true and right every time. He cannot lie. 
And that's what was taking place in 1 Samuel 16. God shows up through the man Samuel and he speaks a word of truth, not a whisper, but a shout. He says, you are gonna be the king of Israel. And the seal and the symbol of that was the anointing all over his head. It's kind of like when you get married, you wear this ring as a seal and a symbol of the commitment that you made. It's a sign. And this was a sign that was done in front of everybody. And so the, the truth is this, the anointing upon him for God's protection, for God's covering, for God to be his leader, and for God to save him to the purpose that he's called him to, it was as good as done. But in the 16 chapters, between 1 Samuel 16 and 2 Samuel chapter 2, that equates for about 16 years of his life. 16 years. Not 16 days, not 16 weeks, not 16 months, but 16 years before he actually took the throne. And here we are, we're, we're struggling because God spoke something to us at the sound in January and he hasn't shown himself faithful yet. Well, we don't serve a microwave God. He likes the crock pot. He prefers it. And so my thought is, even though it's easy for us to read through a few pages and turn a few pages and look at, you know, just this far and all that, that, that must have been, no, 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 it's 16 years of struggle. If you've never read this, let me describe for you briefly what the struggle is. He had this moment of, of God speaking loud and clear to him, and it must have been the greatest moment of his life where God showed up in 1 Samuel 16 and said, you, man of God, man after my own heart, you are anointed king of Israel. And then what took place? Shortly thereafter, he shows up to the battle line, bringing food for his brothers, and he shows up and he slays the giant. And because of that, the current king brings him into his service, brings him into the palace, start playing music for me. And one might think that what David was doing was enrolling in king's school, was enrolling in this amazing internship opportunity under the current king, where he's gonna train him, and he's gonna teach him, and he's gonna prep him, and he's gonna put him through school and seminary and get your PhD and what it means to be a king and have that current king just develop him up and coddle him up and place him on the throne and say, here you go, David, now's your time, go for it. But that's not what happened. In fact, David came into the house of the current king and he started playing music and then spears started flying his way. And he got so bad, the current king's jealousy and his anger towards David and his knowledge that David was called by God to, to take that place of leadership, that David had to run for his life. And so he ran away from his home, away from his family, away from the comfort of his situation and he ran for his life. What must he have been feeling in that moment when he was running? I would think that he would resonate with whatever it is that you're feeling because he was running for his life literally and the king would come after him and try and murder him and he would run and hide and Saul would try and murder him and he would run and hide and he would run to a foreign land and literally act like he was insane so they wouldn't kill him, not knowing where I should go. Should I go there with threat of death or should I go back to my home country in threat of death? And he run for his life and then Saul would show up to him and David had the opportunity to kill him but David didn't do it because he's a man of integrity. He'd run for his life. Some crazy people came to join him. He'd run for his life. Saul tried to kill him. David could kill him again, but he didn't do it because he man of integrity. He ran for his life, and then Saul eventually dies. That's what happens in those 16 years. And I just wonder, what might he have been feeling in those moments of solitude, 
hiding in the cave, knowing that on the other side of the cave is a whole army that's coming after him, wondering in his heart, why did God tell me I was going to be king and the whole nation feels like they're trying to kill me? That was his experience in the flesh. But my guess is that even worse was the experience on the inside. The waiting, the questioning, the wondering, where are you? Yeah, you spoke your word loud and clear through your prophet, but that was five years ago. And I'm living all alone and I'm running for my life. Where are you, God? Why are you not speaking to me now? And then seven years goes by and you start to wonder, maybe I misheard, or maybe that was a false prophet. Maybe he didn't actually know what he was saying. And then nine years goes by and you might be questioning, is this whole thing, what is the point of this whole thing? And then 11 years, and then 14 years, and there must have been such toil in his soul. And you, you can hear it if you read the Psalms. The Psalms are not just prayers and songs, and, but they're written in contexts. This is one of the Psalms that David wrote. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the king. This is the mighty David who God has spoke to, anointed his head with oil, and yet inside he's feeling this. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Not even a whisper. By night, I find no rest. And David went through the struggle. Presumably 15 to 20 years of struggle. Of quiet of waiting and wondering, where are you? Why won't you speak? More than that, why won't you establish what you said you would establish? And so, what do we do while we wait? We wait. Because there are things that God gives us that we can do But the difference between religion and relationship is the dedication and the commitment to say that, God, I still recognize that there are things that only you can do that I will wait on. That there are things that I cannot accomplish by my own strength and my own ability and my own intellect and my own will. But it's a heart posture that says intrinsically, I trust you to do what only a supernatural God can do. But waiting is not passive. It's not like sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Waiting is actually quite active. There is, ironically, something that we can do while we wait for God to do what only he can do. Bobby recently told me that the original sort of thought behind the word is like a spring that's allowing itself to be compressed for the moment when God is going to release it. What do we do while we wait Well, we wait for God to show himself faithful. What do we do while we wait for him to speak to us? Well, we've practiced all the things, and yet we're still waiting for him to whisper. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up on wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. The first thing I would say to you amongst probably more than I could express to you today, the first thing I would say is remember. What do you do while you're waiting? You remember. You remember what God has already done and what God has already said. Here's the truth about Jesus. Even if God never spoke one more word to you, ever, complete silence from now until the day you die, he still would have spoken the loudest word in all of history, and it is enough. And that word was to Telestai. The last word that he spoke on the cross as he hung there, he shouted to Telestai, it is finished. He spoke it. He didn't whisper it, but he shouted it. And that's a word that you and I can remember. For me personally in my life, I write down the prophetic words that people give me and I save them because I know that when I'm going through seasons like I'm going through right now, God needs to send me back to the words that he's already spoken over my life so I can get his word back into me even though my experience doesn't represent what I was expecting. Because I think this, that sometimes while we expect God to speak to us afresh right now, what he wants to speak to us right now is what he already spoke. He can speak to you right now through what he's already spoke if we would just remember what he said. He said all this for us. We, we, we know truth even if he stays silent in this season. We know that he's already spoken to us. We just have to remember what he's already said. I'm sure that it was in that moment, the, those moments, those years of struggle for David, that the thing that got him through was remembering what God had said. He probably, while sitting in the cave alone at night, ag agonizing over what was going on, agonizing over the fact that everybody seemed like they were after him, he remembered, no, God, you said I was going to be king, and I trust it. Will you choose to remember what God has spoken to you, even if you don't feel it? Even if everything in your external situation and in your flesh is trying to tell you otherwise, this is the heart of faith. A heart that says, I choose to trust you, God, and your word. Number two, be faithful, even when you don't feel it. Be faithful. If you read through the Psalms, I, I read a, a, a Psalm 56, the other gatherings, but we don't have uh, quite enough time today. But there's, the really cool thing about the Psalms is that you can actually pinpoint on a number of them where they happened in the context of history. And so... If you read David's Psalms, especially Psalm 56, where he, he wrote it as he was running for his life, you hear in his tone this struggle, this, God, everybody's after me. Everybody's chasing me down. Where are you? I'm crying out to you. My tears are flowing. You keep them in your bottle. And, and, but time and time again, no matter how bitter in soul that he is, time and time again, he always includes in his prayer to God, and yet I will still trust you because you're faithful. And yet I will still praise you because you're worthy. And he made a choice to be faithful with the integrity of his life to be the man that God called him to be. There were two times that David had the opportunity to kill Saul. And I don't know, you know, for me, I just think, okay, the Lord anointed me to be king. And then all of a sudden, this really, really bad dude who's currently king, he's trying to murder me. He's clearly not walking in God's will. He shows up. I have my sword drawn. He's right here. He's not looking at me. I should probably just do that because that's God's will, right, for me to take him out and take the throne that he gave me. But David said, no, 
I'm not going to step outside of what God's called me to do. I'm not going to take out the Lord's anointed. I'm going to wait on God to do God's thing. And he chose to be faithful to God and trusting him and walking in integrity, even in the season of waiting. Remember, God, even when everything in your flesh is telling you otherwise, choose to be faithful to God and his commandments. Number three, be who you're going to be. Be now who you're going to be when you get there. Wherever your there is. What's your there? What's your palace? What's your, your platform? What's your, your end game? What's your thing that when God finally shows up and does for you what you want him to do, the thing that he speaks into existence, when God finally gives you the money that you've been waiting for or the spouse that you've been waiting for or the life that you've been dreaming of, when God finally gives all that to you and you get there, wherever there is, what is life gonna look like and who are you gonna be? This idealistic version of the leader that you're gonna be and the husband or the wife that you're gonna be and the person of integrity that you're gonna be, who's that person there and why don't you start acting like them right now? Because we have this, this idea that once we get somewhere, then we're going to all of a sudden become something. But I think that we need to start acting like the person we want to be. And that just might be the thing, the secret ingredient that gets us to the place that God wants us to be. I've always wondered, God, why did you anoint David in 1 Samuel 16 and not 2 Samuel chapter 1? You ever wonder that? I've wrestled with this thought. Why would you tell him when he was 15 years old that he's going to be king and then wait 15 more years before he actually became king? That's craziness, God. Because you could do whatever you want to do and you could do it however you want to do it and God had a reason for doing it that way. Although in my opinion, it seems like, God, you're kind of setting him up for a little bit of doubt, don't you think? Because he was anointed as a young person, and then he goes through not 15 years of just whatever in school and life. and No, no, 15 years of struggle and pain and running and wondering and waiting. 15 years of living hell. And in my humble opinion, it seems like God set him up to doubt God even more. It seems like if God did that to me, he spoke this amazing word, Craig, you're going to be somebody, and this is what I have for you, and it's as good as done. The oil is on your head. You're anointed for this work. And then I go through these years of not seeing that come to fruition, then my tendency would be to doubt God even more because he spoke something that I thought I heard, but I must not have heard it because it hasn't happened. But the other side of the coin, if you look at it through the lens of faith, says this, that maybe, just maybe, it was that word that he got as a young person that it was the one thing that sustained him through the 15 years of struggle. Amen. Maybe that was the only thing that kept him going and kept him living and kept him faithful and kept him full of integrity because that was the only thing that he had to cling on to as he was running for his life, knowing that if I trust God's word, I will end up where God said. And so what has God told you? Maybe it was... Maybe it was 10 years ago that God spoke to you, but for seven years you've been living in a drought, saying, God, you haven't spoken to me in seven years. But what did he say to you? Who did he call you to be? Because maybe you need to get back to the word that he spoke to you then in order to have the life that you want to have then. 
What do we do while we wait? We choose obedience. We choose trust. And the fourth thing that we do while we wait is wear a tutu. Let me read a passage for you. First Samuel 22, David departed from there and escaped to a cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now listen to this business owner that's trying to use all the best means of recruitment for your next employee. Those of you that are waiting for the right people to come around you in your life that are gonna prop you up to get you the position that you wanna be in. Those that are waiting for the next dream team, pastor, leader, person to come around you and prop you up so you can experience what it is that you wanna experience. This is the dream team that God gave David, the man of God. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became the commander over them. And there were about 400 men. And my thought is that in this moment of David's life when he was running and struggling and probably angry and doubting and waiting and wondering, he had enough issues of his own to deal with that these are the type of people that come his way, the people that are bitter at life, the people that are angry at everybody else, the people that are in debt and all the sharks are after them, the people that are bitter in soul, and these are the ragtag group that nobody else wanted and they thought, oh, let's go hang out with that guy. He was going through his own season of struggle and yet he received all those that came to him because he was a man and the leader that said, even when I'm going through my own stuff, I'm still gonna be about propping up other people for their betterment. And what's that got to do with this? One week ago today, I had a conversation with an amazing human being. I was at a house, a gathering, and we got in this conversation with a person that said to us, I'm a heathen. I'm a pagan. And we went on to have an hour and a half long conversation about what that meant to that person. And this person asked some of the most amazing questions and it was not a combative conversation, but it was very passionate. And we were on two very different sides of the coin of faith. And this person asked some of the most amazing questions. In fact, this person said, if y'all have the Holy Spirit, then why do you guys live in such disunity with each other? And I thought that's a really, really good question that we have a responsibility to answer and fight for. And at the end of this conversation, this person, if I heard correctly, said, you know what the truth is? I've been asking God for seven years to speak to me and he's not saying a thing. And he hasn't showed up. Where is he? And I said, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to go through a season of waiting and wondering, asking God, are you really there? 
And I said, the crazy thing is, in one week's time, I'm actually going to be preaching a message on what do you do when you don't hear from God? Would you come to church? And this person said, no. I said, please. And they said, no. I said, what would it take for you to come to church? And I tell you, I have not been this nervous to preach in a long time. <laughs> I'm serious. I've been feeling a very unique feeling the past seven days. This dichotomy between never, ever in my life wanting somebody to not come to church more, <laughs> and yet at the same time desperately hoping that this person shows up. I said, you know what, friend? You bring the tutu, and I'll do the preaching, and let's leave the rest up to God. Because I am willing to embarrass myself if it means that you might hear from God. And believe me, I do feel embarrassed. But you know what God reminded me of right over there? I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, I don't want to wear this tutu. <laughs> and Jesus, he said in the garden, gosh, I don't want to wear that cross. He said, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way that this can happen? I don't want to put that thing on. And Jesus put the cross on anyway. And he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I'm going to speak over their life, salvation. And so even though you might be going through your own season, your own, I need you to speak to me, God, are you willing to put yourself out there to help somebody else hear from him even while you're still waiting? Yes. 